Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, we are happy that we're able to uh, celebrate this 4th of July weekend together, and we're able to rejoice in the freedom that we enjoy as citizens of these United States, and we rejoice even more in the freedom that uh, Jesus Christ has provided for us through his suffering and death on our behalf. Let's pray together. Ah, Heavenly Father, you have filled our mouths with good things. And we thank you for all you've done on our behalf. Lord, we pray for our missionaries, Billy and Erica Churnland, this morning. Uh, Their work this summer has been threatened by wildfires. Lord, we pray that you would put a ring of protection around them and around those that they're ministering to and that that ministry would be able to continue. We pray that there would be great spiritual fruit in the lives of the young people that have come to camps, that they might receive your word, be transformed into the image of your son, be encouraged to face the challenges of the coming year. Lord, we pray for our missionary children, Gordon, Tracy, and Marcus Carter, as their family ministers in the Mediterranean region. We just pray that your hand of blessing and protection would be upon them as well, and that they would love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they would serve you well all of their lives. Lord, we thank you for our brother, Rick Bootberg and his service to our church family as church treasurer. We ask that you might protect him and his family as well. We commit him into your hands. And Lord, we pray for Vernon Corley DeYoung as their health challenges don't allow them to be here this morning. Lord, we commit them into your hands. We pray that you would give them a sense of your presence with them. That you'd be glorified through them. Pray also for our brother Selwyn Schultz Sr., his wife Christine, uh, as they continue to recover from their injuries sustained in a car accident. Pray for Selwyn Jr. as well. Lord, we commit them into your hands and pray you would intervene on their behalf and that you would do a miraculous work of healing in their lives. We ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, many of you know that uh, back in the 90s, my family and I served as missionaries. And uh, as we were missionaries... Not everybody in the country where we were serving was happy about the fact that we were there 
telling people about Jesus Christ. I remember one time receiving an anonymous letter in the mail. And among many other things, the anonymous letter said, kill the Christians, burn their churches. And then it said some things that are too vile for me to repeat here. Um, Another time, one of our children came home from preschool with a, a badly bruised face. The child had been held down on the ground by classmates and beaten with sticks because of his testimony about Jesus Christ. Another time there was an arson attempt against the building that we were meeting in. But all of those things kind of culminated one day when one of our children came to me with a Bible. And the Bible was open to Matthew chapter 5. And the child said to me, please read verses 11 and 12. Those verses say, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then the child said, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. And uh, as a parent, my heart broke because as parents, we hate to see our children suffer. But in another sense, I realized that we as a family had the privilege of having a small taste of something that our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ throughout history have often experienced. And that these things actually draw us closer to Jesus Christ. They help us to understand him better. They help us to love him more because these light and temporary afflictions which are but for a moment tell us about his affliction on our behalf and what he suffered for us and so they help us to appreciate his love for us and help us to love him more And so the apostles in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, it says about them, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And 1 Peter 4.13 I'll start in 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as so some strange thing happened to you. 
but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And so throughout history, our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ have been persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Right now, at this very moment, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who have had their homes destroyed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are widows or widowers or orphans or who are bereft of their children because of their faith in Jesus Christ. On the average day, if today is an average day, 13 Christians will be murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ today. Christians have suffered throughout history. Christians are now suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And children are going to or, uh, Christians are going to continue to suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ until he comes again to receive us unto himself. And Jesus has something to say to suffering Christians. And what he has to say is in the passage that we're looking at this morning because the passage we're looking at this morning is the message of Jesus to a suffering church. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, or chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. So please open to that passage in your Bible, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And uh, if you didn't happen to bring a Bible and you need one, we have some on the tables in the back of the auditorium. Please feel free to help yourself. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take it with you when you leave this morning because we want everyone to have access to the Word of God. And so... As we have opened then, Lord willing, to Revelation chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 8 through 11 in your hearing. Please stand together for the reading of God's word. Revelation 2, 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as this morning we seek to understand your words to your persecuted children, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
would fill my heart, would put words in my mouth, would guide me as I speak this morning. And I pray your spirit would illuminate the hearts of each who hears, that we would receive your message for us today, and that we would go out from this place more like your son, Jesus Christ, because of what we've learned here together. I ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. Now we can notice, first of all, in verse 8, that Jesus has a message to the angel of the church in Smyrna. He says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And so it seems from these seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation that each body of believers in Jesus Christ uh, has a guardian angel assigned to that body, and that Jesus Christ then uh, speaks to each of those bodies by addressing his message to the guardian angel of that particular body on behalf of those that that angel guards. This particular body of believers is located in the city of Smyrna. Those of you who were here last week may remember from Pastor Jeremy's message that we have a series of seven letters written to churches and um, the island of Patmos where John is is located most closely to the city of Ephesus and so that's the first church he addresses. And then if you go about 35 miles north of Ephesus, you come to the city of Smyrna and so that's the second church that he addresses and then the path follows uh, throughout Asia Minor uh, to the other five churches that he addresses. And so he is addressing this body uh, to the church in Smyrna. And this message to the church in Smyrna we can see is from Jesus. He says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And Jesus is the first and the last because he has existed from all eternity past, and he is going to continue to exist into all of eternity future. He is the eternal Son of God, and so nothing escapes him. Uh, he is not going to run out of steam and leave us in the lurch at some point. We can safely trust in him forever and ever and ever. And uh, this eternal Son of God is also the one who, it says in verse 8, was dead and came to life. And so the eternal Son of God uh, did not just sit up in heaven and watch us, but he became a man. He entered into human existence on our behalf so that he could live the perfect life that none of us could live, so that he could pay the eternal death on the cross that none of us could fully pay, and that he could then rise again to give us a new life. And so the one who comes to speak to the suffering church is not unfamiliar with suffering. He has suffered on the cross where he has borne all of the penalty for sin that all of us should endure throughout all of eternity in the lake of fire. And so he has endured suffering at a level that is infinite beyond our comprehension. And so when he comes to comfort, to comfort the suffering church, he's not just uh, 
saying, yeah, you know, and talking about things he doesn't know anything about. He knows about their suffering. And that indeed is his message as we come to verse 9. It says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, sometimes when we're suffering, we feel forgotten and we feel alone. And um, in the book of Psalms, um, the Psalms express the emotions of followers of God at various times in their spiritual lives. And it's not unusual in the book of Psalms to have the psalmist cry out something like, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And sometimes when we're suffering, that's how we feel. How long, O Lord, are you going to forget me? Have you forgotten about me? And Christ's message to us and the suffering church is, I know about your suffering. I am there with you in your suffering. We can also notice in verse 9 that many of the persecutors in the city of Smyrna were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it says, I know your work, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And so like Paul, before he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, many of these followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the city of Smyrna, uh, they felt it was their duty to God to persecute Christians because they thought these Christians were heretics that were denying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they were doing their utmost to stamp out the Christians so that they could not continue to spread their false message, as they believed, throughout the ancient world. And they resorted then, it says, to blasphemy in order to do this. They were bearing false witness against the Christians. They were th saying things about the Christians that were not true. Um, so, for example, uh, the Christians uh, called each other brother and sister and said that they loved each other. And so they said, oh, those Christians are involved in incest. And uh, they, the Christians uh, partake of the Lord's Supper as we are going to do later on this morning. And as they did so, they said the words of Jesus, this is my body, which is broken for you. And so they said those Christians are cannibals. And uh, they said all manner of evil things against the Christians. By doing so, they became a synagogue of Satan. Because Satan, according to Revelation 12.10, is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who wants to say nasty things about Christians. And uh, these, these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were joining in in the work of Satan and accusing the brethren. And so they became followers of him rather than followers of God. And in the midst of all of this, in verse 10, Jesus tells the believers not to be afraid. 
He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, it's very easy to say, do not be afraid. It's a lot harder not be afraid. Kind of reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite authors says in one of my favorite books about panic. And so uh, you can see I read this book a few times. It says, uh, I disagree sharply with most survival experts on what the lost person should do first. Most of them start out by saying some fool thing like, The first rule of survival is don't panic. Well, anyone who has ever been lost knows that kind of advice is complete nonsense. They might as well tell you, don't sweat or don't get goosebumps all over your body. And so, as we have Jesus in coming and saying here, don't be afraid. What does it mean? It's important for us to recognize tone here because as we read Don't Be Afraid, we can read it in a couple of different ways. And the wrong way is to read it like the drill sergeant. So the drill sergeant reading, Don't be afraid. You're afraid. Drop and give me 50. And that's not how Jesus is saying this. This is the tone of a good father And he comes into his child's bedroom because he hears them crying because they've had a nightmare. So he sits down on the edge of the bed and he hugs the child. He says, don't be afraid. Daddy's here. I'm going to take care of you. Everything's going to be all right. And that's what Jesus is telling the persecuted church. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, as Jesus is saying that, it doesn't sound very encouraging at first. So he says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And so, that's not an encouraging start. Jesus, I've noticed, is kind of a bad news first type of person. So, um, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't do false advertising. For example, uh, Matthew chapter 16 Verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I appreciate that about Jesus. Jesus doesn't bait and switch. 
Jesus doesn't say, oh, this is really, really good, and then try to slip in some fine print when you're not looking. Um, Christy and I are in the process of looking for a used car. Um, and uh, I don't want to paint with a broad brush and smear all used car salesmen. Um, we've had, actually, some good ones we've talked with. Some of the ones we've talked with haven't been so good. And uh, I appreciate Jesus because he tells you what it's going to be like. And so he starts out. He says, the devil's about to throw some of you in prison. Imagine your phone rings, and you pick up your phone, and someone you trust says to you, don't be afraid, you're about to be thrown into prison. And wow, the second half of that message is kind of canceling out the first half of the message for me. And uh, then he goes on, that you may be tested. And so the telephone rings. And you're a student, it's your teacher. And the teacher says, don't be afraid, we're having a pop quiz tomorrow. Does your anxiety level go up? Or does your anxiety level go down? Then he says, uh, you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, that's kind of the first hint of good news. I mean, the tribulation part doesn't sound very good. At least it's 10 days. It's, you know, that's a long time, but it's not forever. And so it means there's an end in sight. The tribulation is not going to last forever. And finally, Jesus says, be faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now, the death part doesn't sound so great. But let's think about it in context. What's the worst thing that the enemies of the Christians in Smyrna can do to them? They can kill them. And what is Jesus going to do if their enemies kill them? He's going to raise them from the dead. And so it kind of pulls the teeth from their enemies' threats. The enemies say, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or I'll take away all of your money. And the Christian says, I have treasure laid up in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and where thieves cannot break in and steal. The enemies say, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or I'll burn down your house. And the Christian says, Jesus Christ is preparing a mansion for me in heaven, which is more glorious than the best house on planet earth. The enemies say, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or I'll kill you. And the believer says, Jesus will raise me from the dead and he's going to give me a glorious new body that will never grow old, never be sick, never have pain. Uh, I'm good. And that is why Jesus is telling them not to be afraid. The trials that they are about to experience are nothing compared to the blessings 
that he is preparing for them. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 17, it says, for our, <coughs> excuse me, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So back in Revelation chapter 2, we come to verse 11. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And first, Jesus calls everyone to listen to these messages to the churches. And so, he's not saying, I have an exclusive message for the church in Smyrna, and the rest of you can turn your ears off. But he says, everyone that has an ear, hear what I'm saying to Ephesus, hear what I'm saying to Smyrna, hear what I'm saying to these seven churches in Asia Minor. For this is a message for everyone who is ready to listen to what God says. And then Jesus gives a promise to those who overcome. He says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And for many years, as I read the book of Revelation, there's, many, there's a number of promises to overcomers in the book of Revelation. And as I read the book of Revelation, and I read these promises to overcomers, I had this picture in my mind, and I thought, uh, these overcomers, they are super saints. They're able to do things that a normal mortal like me cannot do. I wish I could be one of these overcomers, but I'm just plain old Tom Vandenberg, and I can never be like them. But then my attention was arrested by 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Now, the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John, just like the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. And so, if we want to understand what the Holy Spirit is telling us through the Apostle John, it's very helpful to see how he spoke through the Apostle John in this place as well as in this place. And so, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so what is 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 telling us about overcomers? First, it says, everyone who is born of God overcomes. And who is born of God can jump up to verse 1 in 1 John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. And so, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe in Jesus Christ, then you become 
an overcomer. So being an overcomer is not something you have to strive to be someday if you can achieve great heights. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. You are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, in the second part of verse 4 in 1 John 5, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have achieved this victory. The idea is repeated in verse 5 for emphasis. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So back in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11, and Jesus says, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He's not saying some super Christians who rise above a higher level than any of the rest of us will not be hurt by the second death. But he's saying God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so in conclusion, I'd like to emphasize just two main ideas. The first is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not need to fear persecution. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, God's word says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so take courage. The king is on the throne, and he has not forgotten about you. Whatever you face in life, he is there with you, by your side, and he is able to carry you through that trial to the other side. And there's nothing that anyone can do that will ultimately harm you. Now, second, I want to talk to those of you who may not be a follower of Jesus Christ today. Because it says that those who overcome escape the second death. Those who are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are not born again do not escape the second death. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you can become one today. You can escape eternal death through faith in Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, I don't want to sugarcoat the message. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not necessarily enjoy health, wealth, and prosperity your entire life. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not necessarily have a loving spouse. You will not necessarily have healthy children. You will not necessarily have a good job. 
If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not everyone will like, respect, and admire you. But if you call upon Jesus Christ, he will forgive your sins. He will send his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. He will begin a process where he's working to transform you to be more and more like him. He will correct you when you stray. He will intercede for you before the throne of God. And someday he will come again and receive you unto himself so that where he is, there you will be also. And so if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and if you will believe on your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now it's possible that this is new to you and you need to know more about this. Um, I'll be here after the service. I'd love to open the Bible and show you from God's word how you can be sure that you've received new life from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.